hey, here's what we're going to do. If you have your Bible or a smartphone, uh, it'll also be on the screen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, I'd like you to just take about a minute and a half, read through the passage. What is it that the word of God through the spirit of God is teaching you as you reflect on these verses? That is Luke 10, 38 through 42. I'll give you about a minute and a half to, to be able to just rest in that. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And as she, and, uh, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which, it, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of God, and everybody said... Okay, we're going to do something here. Uh, extroverts, this is your time, okay? Um, I'm going to give you another minute and a half, two minutes, and I want you to talk about what you've just read, okay? So introverts are like, crap, right? But extroverts, this is what you've been waiting for all week long, okay? Step up to the plate. So I'm going to give you about two minutes. Take some time, get in a little group, and maybe just talk about what does this passage mean to you, okay? Two minutes, just do some reflection, get with some people, talk about what this passage is speaking to you, go.
Give you about 30 more seconds. Well done. Well done, everyone. Uh, I hope that in your individual time and in your time together that you were able to learn some things and draw out as we prepare ourselves uh, to hear from uh, God's Word. Uh, some of our closest friends, they live in California. They're Arabic. Uh, they actually moved from Egypt about nine years ago here to the United States. And uh, we become really close friends. Well, when we were first starting to get to know them, um, she would volunteer with me because I, I, I kind of ran our missions department at the uh, former church I was at, and then I oversaw a campus, another church campus. So she's super organized. I am not. And so she kind of joined in and, and kind of helped me kind of organize some things, and she would work with my team and do things like that. So I was walking into my office one day, lots of things to do, and she was in a meeting with some of my team. And I, I just walked by and she stood up and I said, hi, Marianne, it's good to see you. And then I got some stuff from my desk and then moved on to go to my meeting, my next meeting. So she calls me like two hours later and just lights me up. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, why did you do that? Why were you so rude to me? I'm like, whoa, hey, how, what are you talking? I don't understand. And she was like, I, I, I stood up and I said, I acknowledged you. I said, hello. And she said, that's insulting to me. And I was like, wait, I said, whoa, whoa, time out. I think this is a cultural thing. Like, can we just talk through this? In the Arabic culture, there is nothing more important than the person. Nothing. There's nothing more important. In the American culture, what do we do? She's in a meeting, right? That's what's most important. I don't want to interrupt the meeting. And so I'm just going to say, hey, I'm going to acknowledge you. And then I'm going to go on to doing my task. In her culture, there's nothing more offensive than that. Why wouldn't you hug me? Why wouldn't you, why were you denying me? We're like, we're friends, right? We're close. Why, why would you just, but what, you had a meeting. Isn't it interesting? I've learned so much from cultures all around the world. Hispanic cultures, African cultures, Indian cultures, Arabic cultures. They prioritize people. The community of being together, being one. But yet here in the West, there is this individualism that's attached to cultural things like busyness and distraction and get it done and go that where we kind of neglect people. And so I find it so great that we're in this series on generosity. Because when I say, hey, let's, let's be a generous people, what are you all thinking we're talking about? Money, right? To whom much is given, much is required is what it says in Luke, right? And so we go, that's all about money. No, 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 as kingdom people, that's about all of life. Yes, it's about money. Yes, of course, of course. And you should be generous people because we serve a generous God who gives so much to you that it only will bring you so much joy to give back. If we isolate ourselves in our wealth in our abundance, you will not benefit what it is to be a part of this beautiful kingdom he's invited you into. I love talking about money at churches because people just go, oh gosh, here we go, right? And they all get squirmy like we're trying to get something from you. No, no, we just want to give you a great gift. And here's what I want to tell you. This church, 
This church gets 10% of whatever is donated. They give it back. And guess what? My organization, Phoenix One, is one of those organizations. So I'm so grateful that you're generous because me and my team and my family are taken care of by this church. So thank you. I really do appreciate it. But then the other part is we think it's only have to do money, but it's not. It's all of life, which is why Alec talked about attention or affection, that we're to be generous with our affection. And today we're going to talk about being generous with our attention. Or what I'm saying is generous with our presence. Because what these cultures, these other cultures have taught me, what scripture continues to affirm over and over and over again is this. Presence shows what you prioritize. Presence shows what you prioritize and what you give attention to is what you attend to. Which is why this passage is so good because it's kind of putting it in our face. You know, Luke is writing this. The author is Luke. Luke is a, a doctor, a historian. Do you know actually that Luke has written more in the New Testament than even Paul? Through his two books, Luke's and, Luke and Acts. And he is an artist. Remember, he's writing after Jesus has died and ascended. And he's writing these letters on an account of what has happened with Jesus and what is happening in the early church. And so he's kind of orchestrating these letters to prove a point, to show something, to help us understand something. And so these don't always follow in chronological order. In fact, in this particular chapter, in the context of this chapter, he, he talks about the Good Samaritan. And he's talking about the Good Samaritan primarily because he wants to come up against all these cultural biases that are happening, where they think, oh, who's good and who's bad? And the religious people were like, well, who's my neighbor? I know I'm supposed to love God, and I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, so who's my neighbor, and what does Jesus do? He throws a cultural bomb in this guy's way and says, oh, well, let's talk about the Good Samaritan. Well, if you know anything about your Bibles, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan to a Jew. None. They hated him. They were less than dogs. They hated him. But Jesus says, let me use that as an illustration. Then he moves on to this next story of Mary and Martha. And what we have in verse 38 is this. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Here's what I want to tell you about Scripture. Scripture is trying to help us understand so much more than what's right on the top. It's digging deeper and helping us pull something out. Luke is very intentional with why he put this story here and what he's trying to help communicate. Because he's talked about the Good Samaritan, and now he's transitioning into this story and has so much power because of what he's trying to help us understand. So he starts off this way. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into our house. And we go, oh, that's great. You know, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have like planners. They weren't like, hey, on Thursday, I'm going to show up at your house. No, it was like, I don't know how long it's going to take me to traverse these mountains or go on a donkey. Like, I don't know. So I'm just going to roll in to your house at any point. So here we have Mary and Martha. Jesus has just arrived and they're getting ready. And guess here, here's the wonderful thing. Within the Jewish culture, and I find this to so be so beautiful, I want us to learn. I love that we're talking about this in, in the context of Thanksgiving is this week. Is this week. And some of you are like, I'm dying, people are coming over to my house, right? And you're, you're losing your marbles, right? 
And I love that, that, that what is happening here is there, Jesus is helping us understand some things. Luke is trying to help us understand some things. And what we find is this understanding of biblical hospitality. Mary and Martha have anticipated that any guest would show up at any time and they would try to care. So Jesus, who's a friend of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, shows up. And they're excited to receive him. In the Jewish culture, and I think we could grab onto some of this, to share food was to share life. I mean, if you read the whole Bible, you'll find that the banquet table is a big deal. You know, Psalms 23, he lays out a banquet table, what? In the presence of our enemies. Do you know in Revelation, we have the hallelujah banquet. So food is about presence, about being with another, one another, which is why I love Thanksgiving. It's this time to be present with one another. Hospitality is an act of a righteous, godly person. It was what righteous, godly behavior looked like, which means the way we do hospitality, it matters. It matters. Because what the New Testament's gonna help us understand in Jesus, in Matthew 25, if you remember about the sheep and the goats, there's this conversation around the sheep and the goats. And Jesus is saying, I'm these people. I was the one who was hungry. I was the one who was in prison. I was the one who needed clothing. And you either helped or you did not help. And if you helped, admiration. If you did not help, if you chose not to be hospitable, there's a condemnation that Jesus gives to you because we are entertaining him hospitality matters. And what I love about the hospitality right off the bat is that they've anticipated it. Mary and Martha are anticipating always, constantly, that they are going to host people. They're going to receive guests because it means it blesses the heart of God to have that disposition, to anticipate. Do you anticipate that God is calling you into hospitality? Are you ready for this? every single day. Hospitality is not just something that you invite something in your home. It is a disposition of your life, of your heart, and the way you see the world, and the way you see the kingdom of God. And are you anticipating that he wants to use you in that way? The other thing that I love within Jewish hospitality in most Middle Eastern hospitality, is that they were interruptible. That's actually one of the values here at this church. Did you know that? To be interruptible. How many of you are interruptible? I can't be interruptible. I have to take these little kids all over the, all over the sports and they have homework and, and I've got agendas and I've got meetings. And it's like, what if somebody comes before you and they need you? They want you. They need care. Are you interruptible? Can you go, oh, 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 all this is important. This is what's most important. The Lord has brought this to me. That's a beautiful hospitality that you've been given. A beautiful opportunity to serve somebody that God providentially put in your place. Have you created margin in your life to truly receive people? Here's what we have. We have Mary and Martha ready ready and happy, joyful to receive people. 
And what I find so often about really true, beautiful hospitality as a disposition of the heart and life is that it's sacrificial. It's always going to cost us something. Always, always. If we're putting someone else first, it's always going to mean something on our end has to suffer. You know, we went to, I went to India. I took a team like five, six years ago to India. And we go into the small little village and we go into this village and, um, and we're kind of serving with the people and, and it was re- it's remote, way out there. And, and we're serving in the village and the pastor of the town come and met us. Thank you so much for being here. I heard you were serving the people. Thank you so much. I'd love to have you over for dinner. So me and my team, we're like, absolutely, we'd love to go to your house for dinner. So we go over to his house for dinner and there were some chickens that were running around earlier in the day and then they were no longer there. And so that's how it rolls in India. They're like, chickens are there, and now they're gone, and now you're eating them. So, um, so the whole team is sitting there, and you know, like Westerners, they kind of roll up and going, I like things or I don't like things, right? And so this man has sacrificing his, his wife, he and his wife have been pre- preparing this meal for us. So Suresh, he comes to me, he's the president of the organization. He comes to me and says, hey, I want you to know the pastor has given up all of his food for this week for his family so you and your team can be fed Please enjoy. I would never do that. I would never do that. And it it really was, it confronted me. This man looked to his family and says, we're gonna give it all away because these people are our guests. And I feel like we're serving Jesus as we serve them. So he looks to his family and says, isn't that convicting? Couldn't we learn something from that? This is Mary Martha's like, come on. We're so excited to have you. Come on in. We want you to be a part of that. And what I find so interesting is that our preparation prepares us for presence. That you are prepared to receive somebody. Every single day is to wake up and be prepared that the Lord wants to use you to anticipate the presence of other people, to give attention to them. And then, verse 39, we have a problem. And she, called, and she had a sister called Mary. Oh, Mary, right? Who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Oh, my goodness. Gotta be kidding me. But Martha was distracted with much with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me uh, to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. What a tattletale. What tattletale? Did you not know? I mean, Mary is sitting there, right? She hears all of this. Martha doesn't care, right? Because she's like, girl, there's stuff to do around here. Just sitting there at Jesus's feet. And so she tattles on him, right? That's not cool. Why does she just get to sit there? And I got to be over here. You know, I had this friend, good friend of mine, and we started, we were growing in our friendship and, and um, I had led some teams uh, on some other trips and he got to be on those trips. And I, I came to find out that uh, he had a problem with me. He's talking to some other people about it. So I was like, man, that really bums me out. So I went and met for coffee and I said, is there anything I've done to make it so that you can't talk to me? Like you go go talk to other people? Like, and he said, you know what, Jeff, I really know you care about me and I care about you. But you know, it always feels like you see through me to some task. There's something always to get done and that I'm important to you, but only as important to what it means to accomplish that task. 
You ever have one of those moments where somebody tells you something and your whole life flashes before your eyes? I just went, oh my gosh, I think I've been doing this my whole life. I think I've been using people my whole life. I think I've been making the task more important than the people. In fact, I've been using the people to accomplish the task. And it broke my heart. And I not only repented to him, I went back to my wife and said, I think I've been doing this to you for a long time. I went back to my kids. Why? The task was more important. Not the presence, not the being with, was more important. And what is happening in the context of this passage is so much greater. I have taught this passage for 25 years and what I learned this week was really kind of blowing my mind. And here's what's blowing my mind. I thought this passage is all about, oh, there's lots of work to be done and here's this lazy one sitting at the feet of Jesus. Like, come on, right? No, 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 it's so much bigger than that. Culturally, what Mary was doing was wrong. It was not her place to sit at the feet of Jesus. She wasn't a student. Actually, her job was to be with her sister. Culturally, that's where she was supposed to do. Culturally, that's what she was supposed, how she was supposed to be serving. Mary said, I deny, I reject the cultural pressure of what it is to be a female. And I'm gonna sit at the feet of Jesus because that's what's more important. I don't care what the culture tells me to do. I just want Jesus. Martha comes because Martha's like, she's wrong. She's doing it wrong. She's supposed to be with me. Martha is in this cultural box. She remains in this cultural box. Mary doesn't care. She just wants to sit and be in a, at attention, at Jesus's attention. She wants to hear him and learn from him. And listen, she doesn't care what the culture says, which got my mind rolling. Because I started thinking, oh my gosh. We have created cultural realities that bring so much pressure on us that a lot of times we don't realize and we're giving in to them. Like, like here's a, a cultural thing I started thinking through. Busyness as a badge of honor is a cultural norm in our culture. If I come to you and I really don't know you all that well and I come to you and I say, hey, how you doing? How was your week? What would you say to me? What would, I, what would you say to me? Come on. Don't play, don't play like you're good Christians, okay? Like, no, you go, I'm just so busy. How many of you, that's your go-to, right? It's mine. Oh, I'm just so busy. It's been so crazy. I've been driving the kids all over. And here's what, I'm so important. <laughs> I am so, you know what you don't ever hear? I was just, I had a chill week, super lazy. Yep, just went out for coffee, just did nothing really. I mean, I exercised a whole bunch, right? no. We would never say that. Why don't we say that? Because the culture tells us we would kind of be judged, wouldn't we? Oh, must be nice. <laughs> must be nice to have margin in your life. And so what we've all done without knowing, we've been drinking that water. It's now normal to respond with busyness, which means this, busyness is a part of your reality more than you know. You are a fish in water and you don't know you're wet. That it's become a part of the way we talk as a badge of honor. We're inebriated with it. I have a friend who he says, he's, he's awesome. He's been helping me all over all the years. And he says, when somebody comes to him and says, 
And he says, how are you doing? And they go, I am so busy. He goes, I am so sorry. That sounds awful. That just sounds so awful. I'm so sorry. And people don't know what to do. They're like, oh, I mean, it's not that. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I had some margin in my life. I mean, right? And what he wants to do is kind of poke that thing that just becomes so normal for us. Well, if you're busy, guess what? We, we, you've given attention to something, haven't you? You're prepared to be busy, but are we prepared to be with people, to see them and be in presence with one another? I also realized this week that we have a cultural org chart, a cultural org chart. In India, they call it a caste system. You have high class, you have middle class, you have the delits, the delites. They're known as the untouchables. And everyone stays in their class. You're not to kind of cross over the classes. And here in America, we have the same thing. Oh, I couldn't go out to dinner with them. I couldn't be present with them. Like if I'm low class, well, I can't fit with the high class. And if I'm high class, I don't even know what it is to be with low class, you know? And middle class is like, right? But they don't know where they fit, you know, right? But Jesus... His death and his resurrection as proclaimed by Paul in Galatians says, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no slave, there is no free. We are the people of God for the glory of God, which means there is no org chart. Here's your org chart. God, the king, we, his people, period. Somehow we've decided to adapt ourselves to a cultural org chart where we decide who is allowed our time and who is not. We need to repent of that. We need to repent of that. It's wrong. I hope your Thanksgiving table looks eclectic. I hope it looks eclectic. I hope the way we serve and love day in and day out looks eclectic, a clash of the, cla- of the classes for the glory of God, being present with them. That's a cultural norm. We've just accepted that this is Okay. And how we live that out. Lastly is distraction. Distraction is 100% a part of our culture. We have attention deficit disorder. When I was in college, I went because I was struggling to study. Did not do good in high school. And I went to the, the psychologist and he said, you have something called ADD. And I went, duh, okay? <laughs> duh, I have attention deficit disorder. Well, here's what I think. Culturally, that's what we all have. We all have attention deficit disorder. Our attention's going somewhere, but often it's in the wrong place. Like for instance, I, I read this week that by the time a boy graduates high school, he'll have put in 10,000 hours on video games. 10,000 hours. If you've read Malcolm Gladwell, you know that you should be proficient and a professional at video games? Come on, right? But this is, we've just gone like, wow, they love playing video games. Or maybe you're like, I love playing video games. This has just become normal. I've distracted myself with that, okay? Uh, We will live nine years of our lives on our phones. 1.3 years of just scrolling to find the right Netflix series. 1.3 years of our lives just scrolling. I mean, that's mind-blowing. 78,000 hours of watching TV. 
Four years of just watching commercials. We have an attention deficit disorder. We are giving attention to something, but is it the right thing? Something is suffering as a result of where we are giving our attention. And I come to you as a co-laborer in this, saying, guilty. Completely and utterly guilty. But we've inebriated ourselves with a cultural norm that says, this is fine. It's culturally acceptable. Martha's like, yo, this is not acceptable. Mary goes, I just wanna be with Jesus. I don't really care what the culture tells me to do. I just want to be with Jesus. Because if I'm with Jesus and I can hear from Jesus, Jesus will teach me how to be with other people. That's why in verses 41 through 42, Jesus now responds. By the way, anytime in scripture where Jesus speaks up, just go like this, oh, come again. Just lean in like he's talking to you. So right now, Jesus is gonna talk to you. Are you ready to receive it? The Lord answered her. The Lord answered him. Jeff, Jeff. Jeff, Jeff. By the way, the tone is not, what's wrong with you? Sometimes you feel that way when you read scripture, don't you? You feel like he's got his finger in your chest. What's wrong with you? No, no, no. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff. Jeff, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. By the way, anxious translated literally in the Greek means distracted. You are distracted and troubled about many things. But Jesus is so beautiful that he always does this to us. But one thing, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Jesus says, Jeff, Jeff, you are so distracted. Jeff, you've given in to these cultural norms that are distracting you. You have all these worries, all these things that are taking you away from the pres my presence and the presence with other Jeff. One thing, what is the one thing? Well, do you know Jesus takes 613 laws that, that fueled the culture of the Jews and he boiled them down into a single commandment. Love me and love other people. The reason why Luke puts this here, and by the way, this, this, this whole thing with the Good Samaritan starts off with the Good Samaritan or with the, with the, the teacher of the religious law going, uh, no, love God, love others. Jesus now is showing us an example of what that looks like. Loving God is sitting at his feet so that we can go love other people. But if we're so busy, we'll miss him, which means we will not be able to see other people. And I want you to know this every day. Every day, God is providentially providing opportunities for us to be present with people. Every day, every day, you've been given an opportunity to give attention to the thing he loves the most, his people. 
But because we're so inebriated in the culture, we're giving it away to everything else other than what really matters. People. Time with the Lord, listening to him, sitting with him, taking in what he says about us and about other people. This is to be present with the Lord in order to be present with other people. Because presence shows what we prioritize. I want to say that again. Presence shows what we prioritize. And what we give attention to, we attend to. This is what Jesus is trying to help us understand. He's not condemning Martha. He's not condemning me. He's not condemning you. He's going, you've inebriated yourself with a cultural norm of busyness, an org chart that runs against the very gospel that we claim as good, and busyness with all the things that he's not invited you to be busy with. And when we do these things, we miss him and we miss other people. I uh, went to Kenya five years ago and I took it again, took a team. And again, I'm, you know, I'm leading this thing and I'm, I'm a driven person. Any of you driven, like get the job done driven? Yeah, I'm that guy. So I, I got a schedule, I got a task to accomplish. One of the things we did, we went to the largest AIDS, or, uh, 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 AIDS hospice in Kenya and to spend some time with the patients and the leadership, right? And so the team's in there and I'm going, okay, okay, we gotta get, gotta get rolling. Like it's good, we can spend some time. These people are dying. They're dying of AIDS, they're dying with dignity here in this place. But it's like one of the stops on the day. And so I walk outside and a lot of the, the, they call them guests, not patients, but the guests are outside getting some sun and they're emaciated. You can see their bones. And two of the ladies, Rose and Daphne, are out there and they brought massage oil and they're massaging their feet. And I went over and I was like, hey, we got to get going. Like we got a lot of, we got a lot of stuff we got to get done. And they looked at me and said, no. Oh, I like, you ever have an out of body experience where you see yourself doing something? That's what that felt like. I was like, whoa, whoa, what has happened to me? What has happened to me? I can only think about an agenda about a task list that we have to get to instead of just being present with Jesus, rubbing Jesus's feet, speaking prayers of hope and joy over them. What has happened to me? And literally I went away and cried because I could not believe that I'd become so busy with the task that I would neglect these beautiful people with love and care and compassion. What does it look like for us to start shifting this in our lives? And honestly, this week's a good week to give it a go, right? And I don't come to you going like, I got this figured out. I am deeply convicted by this passage, deeply. It is a, I, am a, I will spend the rest of my life trying to work through this. It's not easy for me. But I feel that conviction. I hope you feel that conviction. I hope, I hope you can see those cultural norms that we've just said, yep, and that's how we live. And going, man, I mean, I met with my mentor this last week and he was like, wait, you, 
You're not taking any time just to rest? Man, nope. Dang it. You know, if you have your communion, we'll do this. Here's one of the things I started working through as it relates to presence. John says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Eugene Peterson in his translation of the message says, and Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Incarnation. You know, it's interesting when we come to the table, when we come to communion, do you know what communion is? It's incarnation. This is the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, representative. When you eat it, it becomes a part of you to remind you that our God did not stay away. He came to us. He bled like we bleed. He grieved like we grieved. He cried like we cried. He rejoiced like we rejoice. That's why Hebrews in Hebrews 4, it says, we have such a great high priest who sympathizes with our humanity. He incarnated our lives. And so when we take communion, you're about to take the bread, or the cracker, wafer, whatever these things are, right? And it becomes a part of you. Isn't that beautiful? Do you know what that's telling us? Jesus is near you. Go be near to others. The bread. Take the bread in remembrance of his presence with you, his love for you. blood the life his life not far away near near to the brokenhearted stands on the cross father forgive them they do not know what they do he sheds his blood incarnationally they saw it we now consume it to have it be a part of us to remind us of Jesus the King coming to us and redeeming our sins. He who knew no sin became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. Isn't that awesome? So when you drink this and it goes down in your throat, I want you to feel incarnation, that God is near you. Drink of the cup. This is a symbolic of how we're to live with other people. Look what Jesus has done for us. You ready? Go do it for other people. Incarnationally. Have it be a part of your life. And they feel the presence of God through you. Father God, we love you. Thank you. We celebrate you today. We're so grateful that you are with us, that you are near to us, that you bear our burdens so that we can bear the burdens of others. Father God, I pray that you would help us to be attentive the way you were attentive, to care the way you care, 
to see the way you saw so that many will come to know you through our obedience and you're drawing them in. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, everybody said, amen.